Coming up next, the bookening doesn't read The Handmaid's Tale, Stephen King's It, and Stephen King's Dark Tower. But what unites those three things, you may ask? They are all coming or have come to the small and or silver screen, and we are going to be giving you hot takes on those three literary classics. And we'll be asking you for money. Welcome to the Booking. My name is Nathan Alberson. I am, as always, your humble and obedient host. And I am joined today. I'm going to be joined by Brandon Chastain, the. What did we call him last time? I think the. Uh, no, the episode that hasn't come out, actually, where we call him the scholar who's a baller of. Um, reading? Books or something. <laughs> I don't know. He's a scholar who's a baller of something. Maybe literature. We uh, may, yeah. May have used a better, nicer. Word. <laughs> a little more sophisticated. Yes, but uh, Brandon Chastain, of course, is the baller who's a scholar of, or the scholar who's a baller of, yeah, he's, Brandon Chastain is the scholar. The point is, Brandon's going to be joining us later, a little bit later in this episode. Right now, though, I am joined by everybody's favorite bookening personage, the one, the only, Pastor Jake Menzel. Jake, you are what? Pastor who is a master of reading. That's right, and you own it. You, you don't you don't just like say, uh, Jake, what qualifies you? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> that was your catchphrase for a while. <laughs> it was, yeah. Now I'm accepting uh, Padawans. So You're a Padawan? No, I'm accepting. Oh, you're accepting Padawans. I'm a master. You're a master. Can a regular Jedi Knight have a Padawan? Yeah, totally. Because Obi-Wan was a Jedi Knight when he first had his Padawan. Right. And Anakin was a Jedi Knight and he had a Padawan. In the, in the animated in the animated Clone Wars st- show Clone Wars, right. of which you are a big fan. <laughs> Little known trivia. <laughs> That's sort of Little true. desired to be known trivia. <laughs> well, you know, you watch some shows with your kids, and you know, some shows are better than others. Some shows you begin to watch with your kids, and then the kids go to bed, and you watch eight you more episodes. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Jake, uh, tell us why we should watch Star Wars: The Clone Wars animated series. Uh, you probably shouldn't. Oh, but I don't know. It's fun. Honest truth is not a lot of it. Your your kids, there's a lot of it that your kids shouldn't watch. I mean, there's like intense, scary, dark, Star Wars-y. There's like, some dark stuff and some witchy type stuff and some, yeah, there's some, some moments that are pretty dark and scary. Is it better or worse than episodes, my favorite Star Wars episodes, one, two, and three? It's better. Better. Yeah. It's sort of, you know, it's better storytelling. And it works to fill in the gaps between episodes two and three. I think the emotional gaps between episodes two and three. (laughs) I think it's working to make sense, uh, emotional sense of episode three. So I think it's better storytelling. And then when you get some of the goofiness, um, it just goes down much better as a cartoon that's made for kids instead of something that's trying to be taken seriously on the big screen. So, Well, there you go. We said we were going to do hot takes in this episode. That was hot take number one. Hot take number one. Jake Menzel says the one thing that you should definitely do with your time is watch Star Wars. Clone Wars, the animated series, available now on Netflix, I believe. Yeah, it's on Netflix. That's how we got started. Well, there you go. That'll be our hot take number one. We have a, several. What we're going to do today, this is just going to be a quick little bonus episode, not as long as our usual length of episode. We're going to give you some hot takes on some uh, movies and stuff that are coming out, me and Jake, and then Brandon's going to join us for a very special ending where we get trapped in an elevator and learn about racism. That's usually what happens in very <laughs> special uh, <laughs> endings of things, right? The three, the booking crew gets in an elevator with a gentleman of African-American descent. Brandon expresses some pretty, you know, as he's wont to do, views. Yeah, he expresses some pretty, some very views. pretty views. Meanwhile, pretty, Jake is just pretty. saying ugly, <laughs> terrible things, and you think that Jake's going to get away with it, but then the elevator breaks down. We're stuck in there for hours. Everyone fights and gets their true feelings out. That's actually not what's happening at the end of this episode. I'm just going to cut the, that off. What actually happens at the end of this episode? We're going to what, Jake? Make an elevator pitch, but Make, the kind of elevator pitch that 
will feel maybe like you've been stuck on an elevator with us for <laughs> 20 minutes. Maybe you already feel like that, and we've only been going five. <laughs> but uh, yes, we are going to make an elevator pitch. We are going to be, in fact, asking for... Money. Money. That's right. But first, we decided to give you a little bang for your buck. And remember, this is a bonus episode. You know, you only deserve uh, two or three episodes a month, but... We like to give you more than you deserve. We like to give you more than you expect. So we are because we you, love you. We love you, and we're giving you a little extra value today. We are going to talk about three things. One of them is a TV show. Two of them are movies. One of the TV show has already come out. The movies are coming out, and we're going to be talking about them a little bit, just giving our thoughts on these three uh, kind of pop culture zeitgeisty things that are happening that you may have read about on the Twitter or the Facebook or whatever your social media platform of choice is. What do you think our users probably use MySpace? Yeah, definitely MySpace. Definitely MySpace. Yeah. The first one of those is the TV show of which I believe at the time that this will be released, which is the day after we're recording it actually. I think the first three episodes have come out on Hulu of this show. I have no idea. And I think more episodes are coming out. They've, they've talked about the first episode has been a tremendous critical and audience success, as I understand it. They are talking about doing a season two, which I suppose would probably deviate from the book on which it's based. That book is, of course, Margaret Atwood's immortal The Handmaid's Tale. That is, as IMBD says, a drama set in a dystopian future where a woman is forced to live as a concubine under a fundamentalist theocratic dictatorship. A lot of people really like this book. A lot of articles have been going around about this book, even like Christian-y. Like there was a, I saw an article on, I believe, a very reputable Christian, conservative, maybe even reformed-ish organization by a woman who said The Handmaid's Tale was one of her favorite books, a book that had just really inspired her to, to live a life of freedom from oppression and to, to stand up against the forces that, that, uh, that, 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 what do you call it? What am I, I trying to say? I don't know, but that's really great because it's one of my favorite books yeah, too. It's, it's really, it, it's a fantastic book. Yeah, it fulfills, I, I've never seen a more uh, wonderful utopian vision of the future. Yeah, no, I mean, it's... it's, 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 it's it... <laughs> <laughs> It's almost kind of boring. It's like, where's the drama? It's like the good guys have won. Um, I know. It's... <laughs> because it is, in, in fact, a fundamentalist theocratic dictatorship. Which exactly what, what all of 2,000 years of Christendom has been working Right. For. It's what our culture is obviously headed towards right now. Yeah. And it's been a long time coming, you know? That's right, yeah. We've been I can't waiting. wait till this vision is realized. And I'm so excited that it's uh, generated so much excitement. Right. It's exactly what the Bible lays out. And it's exactly what we as Christian men want. Yeah, totally what I want. Right. It's what we say all the time. It's what we're known for is our our weird uh, sexual fetishes, actually, and our desire for concubines. Lots of concubines. Lots of concubines. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the, the, the problem I believe in the book is that women have gone infertile. If that's how you would pronounce that. Yeah, of course that's how you'd pronounce it. How else would you pronounce that? Infertile. <laughs> infertile. <laughs> the problem is that women have gone infertile. And um, most women have. But uh, Peggy Olson, whatever her name is, um, she has not gone infertile. And so the select few women that have not gone infertile are, of course, as would happen in a fundamentalist theocracy, they have been made into these concubine, con- concubines called handmaidens. And they live with their commanders. So that's what, you know, that's what you go, go by yeah, at home, that's right? What, yeah, in my home, I'm commander, I'm commander daddy to my kids, and I'm commander husband <laughs> to, my, to my wife. Commander husband worked, commander daddy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Simultaneously. I'm a little soft in this. <laughs> <laughs> I think you need to work on your theocratic fundamentalist uh, <laughs> dictatorship skills. <laughs> No, but uh, what what happens, I believe, to poor Peggy Olson is uh, her commander's name, if I'm not mistaken, his name is Fred. So uh, obviously she doesn't have a name. She's a woman. This is what Christians have been, what, what we've been striving for for... For forever, for, yeah. Yeah, hundreds of years now. Ever since I can remember, I've been saying <laughs> women should not have names. Totally. No names. In my house, my wife doesn't go by any name. No, her name is just as Peggy Olson's in this thing is... A derivative of yours. I think uh, the the commander is named is Fred, which Commander Fred. I guess maybe they don't call him that. I think they just call him the commander. Uh, her name, the name of the main character, is of Fred. Yeah, yeah. O f f r e d because she's she's of Fred. She derives from Fred. her whole identity is wrapped up in her man, which is obviously what Christians, uh, fundamentalist Christian that's conservatives right. and like that's us, totally have, what want. it's like in my house. Right. Too. That's just, of Jake. Of Jake. Lovely woman. Yeah, she's a great woman. 
My kids also, by the way, are just of Jake. Just of Jake? Yeah, that's it. How do you know which of Jake you're, uh, <laughs> like you say, of Jake? It's just the intonation. It's just intuition? So how would you intone for a uh, pretty little girl number two of Jake? Of Jake? <laughs> of Jake? <laughs> you do like yeah, 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 just like Different that. accents? It's gotta be like that. that wasn't an accent. It was a... Uh... What about obnoxious boy number four of Jake? Of Jake. Yeah, there we go. That's more dictatory. <laughs> That's the commander daddy that I've been waiting for. <laughs> what about a number one son uh, of Jake number one? Of Jake. Of Jake? <laughs> Are you asking him a question at this point? <laughs> Just sort of embodying the, the, the difficulties of having a firstborn son. But then your wife's name is also of, uh, her name is of Jake, so how do you address her? Oh, I can't, I can't. Oh, you can't? You don't want to know. I don't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> I guess some answers are better last one question kind of the deal here. Okay, fair enough. I am single. I'm, of course, looking for the next of Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe that there's enough Nathan out there somewhere. <laughs> some woman who's just waiting for her identity to be subsumed by me. Some, no doubt. Some flower of uh, fundamentalist theocratic virtue <laughs> that I'm just waiting for. Um, well, uh, thankfully, because uh, The Handmaid's Tale is out, Right now, and everybody's watching it, and, and people are listening to this podcast. Right. The, there'll be women lining up to become of of Nathan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really, I think ever since this podcast started, we've had, uh, you know, I've had some some of Nathan offers, um, but uh, they were all a little bit feminist. Actually, most of them didn't want. Check this out, Jake. Check this. Most of them didn't want to be called of Nathan. What? Yeah, these these fem Nazis. Instant no. No, yeah, they they wanted to have their own names. Please. Like they thought as a woman, they should have some sort of identity apart from me, like they were a person or something. That's just pagan. No, yeah, that's obviously, but we can all be thankful for Margaret Adwood and her wonderful work for uh, showing people how society should be. Yeah. Great job, Margaret. Yeah, I've got to say. Oh, wait, why do we call her Margaret? Oh, <laughs> what, what would she, I don't know if she's married. I'll look it up. We'll call her of Atwood? Of Atwood? Maybe her husband's name is Margaret. Margaret. Oh, we can, yeah, we can only assume. <laughs> of Margaret. <laughs> of Margaret. <laughs> um, yeah, no, uh, we would encourage all of our listeners to definitely read Margaret Atwood's wonderful work of utopian... It, it, well, it's, it's more like a utopian battle plan. Yeah. Right? It's a utopian vision. Uh, we would encourage them to read it and to embrace the ideals, really just to embrace what's in the Bible and what we as Christians... Have, have always, always, always believed and wanted. Right. From time immemorial. Right, right, right. We have always, you know, we've never wanted um, women to have their own identities. We've always just wanted them to be baby-making machines. That's right. That's yeah. pretty much what the Bible says, right? All of Western civilization is built on that, that foundation right that there. That foundation. Yeah. And now you've got these fem Nazis, and they're trying to, trying to erode the foundations of foundation with their names and... Uh, yep. But then along came of Margaret. <laughs> Hopefully that's what her, <laughs> her biography. Well, someone should write a biography of her husband. I'm sure he's a wonderful guy. Right, yeah. He probably... Actually wrote the book. I would assume so. He's a man. She's a woman. Right, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I mean, there are certain people that have said that this is like a uh, paranoid feminist fantasy. Hmm. But no, it's, it's what we Christians believe and want. Mm-hmm. and have been striving for it, it's why your wife doesn't have a name no identity yeah uh, she's never allowed to argue with you or right. have yeah. any influence over decisions <laughs> yeah uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else jake that you want to say about of margaret of atwood no she's just have, i assume her husband's name is mr atwood is there anything else you'd like to say about mr atwood's classic tale and the wonderful movie starring the wonderful Peggy Olson from the wonderful Mad Men, The Handmaid's Tale. Read it, love it. Read it, it, love it, live it. Learn it. Yeah. Or no, you guys are done with love it. <laughs> or, yeah. Love it, live it, learn it. Love it. Lo- love learn it, it, learn it, love it, live it. Learn it, love it. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Live it. One of those things. Yeah. Something like that. If you want to be a true Christian, <laughs> the way that Christians always have been through 100% of human history, then you will be the kind of person in Handmaid's Tale. Or it's possible that that book is garbage and the series is garbage and you should give it no credibility, whatever. One of those two. One of those two. That's hot take number one. How'd you feel about hot take number one? (laughs) 
I'm feeling pretty good about it. All right. On to hot take number two. And Jake, I'm going to throw it to you, actually, for hot take number two and hot take number three. The questioner is going to become the questioned, and the question E is going to become the questioner. You're going to ask me some questions because you have not, in fact, read the books the wonderful no, books so we're going to be discussing you've next. You've read a lot of Stephen King. I have read quite a bit of Stephen King. How many yes. Stephen King novels do you think you've read? Oh, I don't know, upwards of 20 or 30. No quite kidding. A few. That's a lot of Stephen King. He's written a lot of novels. And have you seen pretty much every Stephen King movie? I've seen uh, my fair share, yes. All right, so tell me what I need to know about Stephen King in general and about it first. Okay, Stephen King, the most important thing to know about him... What's the most important thing to know about Stephen King? Stephen King is like a good old boy from Maine. He's been married to the same wife for his entire life. I'm a poet and I'm aware of that fact. Um, He used to smoke a lot of cigarettes and do a lot of drugs back in the day and be a raging alcoholic when he wrote some of his best work uh, or certainly his most popular work. And then they staged an intervention and he stopped and his writing slowed down a little bit. But he's also always been super prolific. He seems like, from what I can tell, a pretty good pagan, you know, if such a thing, if we can, if we can say that on the booking, you know, married to the same woman, just basically, uh, kind of a cool guy, I guess down real down to earth. So that like home, uh, loves the white side, so- the red socks. Uh, I don't know. He's so big, just big- like good old American boy virtue shines through in every, yeah, it really does. It really does. Um, and he was an English major. The famous story is that he was always writing stories based on all the tales from the crypt comics and twilight zones and stuff that he had read as a kid, you know, all this stuff, both literary and trashy as he'd be the first to admit had kind of mingled in his imagination and he was writing stories. He wrote a very famous, or, or he wrote his first novel. He wrote the first couple pages and threw them away. And the first couple pages were the first couple pages of Carrie, which if anybody knows that story, it begins with a young woman of about the age when you hit puberty, uh, actually getting her menstrual cycle in the... Um, What's that thing called where people change clothes at school? Locker room. In the locker room. And she's this conservative woman, conservative uh, girl that hasn't been told that that's going to happen. So she's horrified. She starts screaming and all the other girls start start throwing their tampons at her and being cruel to her. Turns out later that Carrie has telekinetic powers. And after a whole book's worth of people abusing her, she finally burns the school to the ground and kills everybody. Stephen King wrote the first pages of... Yeah, it was very wholesome. <laughs> but Stephen King just wrote the the locker room scene, and then he threw it away and said, this is garbage. I don't know how to write about women, whatever. His wife, Tabitha, found the manuscript in the trash, got it out, said, this is good. A lot of people are going to like actually identify with this. You should finish this story. And so he did. It got published. His next novel was Salem's Lot, which is, it, it's like uh, Dracula meets It's a Wonderful Life or something like that. It's just a wholesome small town America and now the master vampire is coming. And that's basically what Stephen King's always done is he takes the supernatural and he just brings it into a very recognizable world. He's arguably, along with the generation that included Steven Spielberg, the guy that kind of pioneered that whole vision. Certainly if you've seen Stranger Things or any of that kind of stuff, he's the guy that kind of invented that way of, you know, horror isn't European castles and... Yeah, when I, I've never read Stephen King, but when I think of Stephen King, I think of Steven Spielberg and I think of that sort of like small town, 10 to 12 to 14 year old boy meets great evil in the middle of some prosaic reality and is you know so yeah it's that supernatural scary element forces its way into what's supposed to be really normal prosaic and beautiful americana right and that's been him from the whole time carrie you know his first novel the reason that his wife dug it out of the trash was because it had this very relatable not horrifying in a scary way, but just horrifying in a, I've sort of been there and felt it way. This is how high school, junior high, whatever it was, feels. This is how cruel kids can be. And then it has the wonderful supernatural, you know, we've all dreamed of it moment where Carrie suddenly discovers that she has the power to (laughs) brutally murder everybody at the prom (laughs) who have just insulted her. So Stephen King's He's good at that kind of stuff. He's a... There's probably two other things that are worth saying about Stephen King. Number one, he had a religious fundamentalist woman come to his door, I believe. I may not be getting this story quite straight, but he had some experience as a nine or 10-year-old boy with an extreme religious woman telling him, you're going to go to hell and really scaring him, knocking on his door, asking, you know, hey, you know, you're going to go to hell if you don't take my pamphlet, whatever. And that has colored his view of Christianity. He's very mystical, 
very positive, would probably say that there is some God. Um, I mean, he's super gory and his characters will die all kinds of terrible deaths and stuff, but he's, you know, he's basically kind of a spiritually, you know, he'd say that good wins generally in some sense. And, you know, he can be, uh, sort of positive in a new agey kind of way. But oftentimes in his stories, there'll be uh, a fundamentalist Christian. Carrie's mom, the reason Carrie's the way Carrie is, is because Carrie's mom is an awful religious zealot that won't let Carrie just be normal. And Carrie doesn't even expect her first period because her mom thinks that's a woman's sin, Eve's curse. So you'll find uh, Christian bashing will hit, will, um, pop up a lot in Stephen King's books. That's probably worth noting. Uh, the other thing to note about him is that I'd say he's a better writer than a lot of these guys. I've read my Clancy's and I don't know who the guys are now, but a Jack Reacher guy, uh, Clancy and um, Crichton. John, Crichton, Grisham. Stephen King's cut above all that. He's a pretty, he can be a wooden prose stylist, but actually I think Stephen King in many ways, and there are some serious drawbacks, even beyond the ones I've already mentioned why you shouldn't read Stephen King, but to say the nice things about him, Stephen King actually does subscribe to and uh, exemplify a lot of the things we talk about on the bookening. You know, he's willing to, he's, he's a little bit like Steinbeck in that he's a man of the people. He's willing to be bad, but he can also be quite good. You know, he's one of those guys that I think he has some real humility about what he does. We oftentimes reference a quote by him. What did he say? Like, I don't know, you say it all the time, don't you? Um, writers write, that whole thing. Oh, yeah. It's uh, imi- it's something like amateurs sit around and wait for inspiration or sitting around and waiting for inspiration is for amateurs. Writers write. Writers write. Or writers work hard or, you know, r- writers get up and they write. Yeah. And so Stephen King's just a guy that's uh, written and made billions of dollars. I'd say if you're going to read popular literature, minus the drawbacks that we'll talk about in a minute, he he he's he is a cut above. He's really not bad. And he does he does play with supernatural themes in an interesting way. And yeah, I really I really do admire his I admire him for being a one woman man all his life. That's really cool and really rare to see in any celebrity industry, even liter- the literary one, as far as I know. So I admire that about him. And I admire just his humility about the craft, his willingness to get better i mean his you can see his writing style progress you can his his taste is very good the books that he recommends his book on writing i would unequivocally recommend it's a wonderful book i'd say you know first read strunk and white then read william zinzer's on writing and then maybe third read stephen king's i think it's called on writing it's a really good book with a lot of really useful information about how to write narrative fiction or really just how to write anything it's just uh he gives wonderful defenses of why you should use nouns and verbs and forget about adjectives i mean he really just uh brings the basic Strunkian, Whiteian philosophy alive in a really nice way. Those are the good things about Stephen King. So what are the bad things? Why should you not read Stephen King? The reason you shouldn't read Stephen King... Because you just painted this like wonderful storyteller with American wonderful, wholesome values and virtues <laughs> in real life and infusing his, his literature, although there are some unmentionable things that are also there too. With that. Right. But you know, you, you get the picture that, well, it's where Worth taking those things with the uh, with the good because there's so much good. Well, I don't know where I would ultimately land on this. It may well be take worth taking them in certain books. Stephen King wrote the novella that the Shawshank Redemption is be- based on, and that's a movie that I love, and I'm sh- sure a lot of people love. I mean, Stephen King is capable of writing. I mean, that's just like in the grand tradition of It's a Wonderful Life or something like. It's just a store a simple little fable about hope in the midst of despair. Stephen King is fully capable of writing some great stuff. My mom really loves a book called The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, who's about a little girl that gets lost in the woods. It's just about her being lost in the woods and she imagines tom gordon he's a baseball player right jake or something i don't know he's a sports guy of some type i think she just imagines him as being by her side and talking her through it and it's just a cool fun story so there are a lot of good stephen king stories actually but mostly in his novels you know they are uh, supernatural horror you're gonna get two things that are bothersome sometimes maybe the kind of bothersome that you could put up with, the kind of bothersome that we have put up with in certain books. But oftentimes I think they just cross the line. He's not afraid to just go for really disgusting, gory, over the top. I think what Stephen King would say in some sense, or what I've heard, the way I've heard people to defend that is they've said, you know, Stephen King, he's a storyteller like Charles Dickens. And the fact is society has uh, kind of devolved to the point where if you're going to be 
the new Charles Dickens, you're going to have to kind of slap people across the face to get their attention, which means you're going to have to have sex and gore and stuff like that. Be that as it may, I don't think that's a very good defense, actually. And uh, Stephen King... Well, it's just crap. We've read plenty of books that are good storytelling that we love and we're part of modern society. (laughs) And they don't have those elements. And that aren't boring, but are exciting and interesting and fun and engaging. Uh, Stephen King... That's like the sequel fallacy right (laughs) yes what did what worked about the first movie that we like you know oh okay well let's just add 100 percent more sex and death right exactly (laughs) stephen king can be awfully cheap with that stuff obviously if you've listened to the booking long enough you know that we have read books with both sex and death and we don't always mind if it's done well and if it's done in an edifying way but Stephen King oftentimes doesn't oftentimes his his death is very gory and very just uh, pornographically violent there will oftentimes be very darkly gratuitous sexual content in his books and that brings us to Stephen King's it right so yeah that's what I was going to ask if you know it's, it sounds like we're you're saying the way to evaluate this is case by case you know yeah I think so- I want to say I'm hesitant to go out and to just say there are Stephen King books that you should read, but I can't. I can't say. I don't want to try and solve right now the question of whether you should support someone who would ever write something bad. But mm-hmm. I will say there are books that in and of themselves, divorced from the larger picture, are perfectly fine, good, even edifying books. Okay, so mm-hmm. then let's come to it. Stephen King's It would it. not be one of those books. <laughs> <laughs> I read this when I was about 13 or 14. I think it was the first Stephen King book I read. It's a massive tome of a novel. It's just like uh, 1,400 pages or something like that. Wow. And it really gripped me. And it wasn't just the the disgusting horror stuff. It was the picture of these kids. It's about these kids. If you've watched the trailer for the new movie that's coming out, you know, the trailer evokes Stranger Things because Stranger Things, in fact, evoked Stephen King. He did it first. That also, I mean, Stephen King did Stand By Me. That's another one that a lot of people love. Oh, yeah. Um, that whole kind of Sandlot kids kind of, you know, mm-hmm. dirty talk and real, you know, uh, I don't know what you'd call it. But the 12 to 14 year old boys on their bikes who say things that you wouldn't see in a Disney movie, but are real life. Right. I think there are two Stevens that invented that, and that would be Spielberg and King. And then it is the penultimate novel of that sort of thing. It's about these kids. They're, they're called the Losers Club because they're all bullied and beat up and various uh, kids that people who read books would identify with. The thing I I really remember about the book actually is the fat kid because I was a fat kid and Stephen King absolutely nails what it's like to be a fat kid there's a scene where there's a part where it talks about the kid uh wearing big sweaters and trying to cover up his neck and and um it was just so instantly identifiable to me that I fell in love with Stephen King at that moment I just loved him he for understood he understood me yeah. and I think that's what he does really well is just those simple broad strokes where he understands people and that's why you can't even though I'm about to say don't read the book you hear some enthusiasm uh, creeping into my voice about it because he really you know it was nice it was just like I don't think Stephen King was a fat kid but he just he got it mm-hmm. and he got a lot of things about being a loser being bullied being all that sort of thing is the it is the story of these kids who slowly realize that you know this evil has taken over their town just like it always famously does in Stephen King it, it is a thing that takes the form of your 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 fears so there's all these kinds of pop culture illusions that's the other thing i like about stephen king he's very specific and not afraid to use pop culture so people will be drinking cokes instead of drinking sodas people will be listening to certain rock songs he just he places it at a time and place and it kind of dates his books in some ways maybe as more time goes on they'll become maybe some of them won't last for that reason but it it makes it nice you know for if you grew up in those eras or have some nostalgia for the 80s or the 70s whatever uh you know he he really plants plants you there so the book actually does a nice job of cutting between the losers as adults getting back together and realizing the evil has re-emerged and then their first encounter with it as kids and like i said it's just full of this wonderful detail of kids small town life the problem The reason you shouldn't read it is because it's and it makes me mad. It actually makes me mad at Stephen King. It's 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 a it feels like a betrayal because it is a book that actually I probably would recommend and would love to read on our show, except for it's got nasty sexuality of the type that I don't want to talk about. Even I'll say it involves the kids. So that'll and it's presented as a good thing, an uplifting thing. Um, I don't really want to go into more detail like that than that. I don't think I should have to. It's not just one of the kids it's several of them mm-hmm. um basically it just and it's a very important non-skippable 
plot point, you know, it's like, it's how they get their mojo back basically. And it's just, it's not, you know, I mean, I'm sure we've all in our modern culture watched movies or seen books. You know, everybody loves Braveheart, but you got to fast forward the waterfall scene. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like something that fundamentally changes the nature of the book in a way that's just makes you feel like you have to take a shower. And that's not, if you, if I went into full detail about what it is, then you would know it's, it's not just me being a prude or me not liking, you know, that this is really dirty, wicked, vulgar, nasty, mean. The kinds of things that Christians shouldn't think or speak. Yeah. Of. Yeah. I don't, yeah. That's which is why I'm trying not to, while trying to give you enough to say, really, don't read the book. It, it ruins the book. It just like, it ruins the book. And if I had to guess, I would say that they're going to cut it out of the movie. I would also say that the movie is probably going to be very gruesome if they do the book at all, any kind of justice. And there is some difference between actually seeing that stuff on the screen. So I'm probably won't recommend the movie either. Plus, maybe they, they will keep that stuff. But I can't imagine. I mean, it's just so bad that I just can't even imagine a liberal Hollywood studio executive being happy with it. That's actually probably the worst example in all of Stephen King's bibliography that I've read. But a lot of his books do have just like gratuitous sex scenes. I, I don't really read a lot of what's popular now, but it feels like in the Clancy Grisham King era, when I was a kid and was, was reading those popular novels at the time, you always had to have just like a really pornographically graphic, deta biologically detailed sex scene somewhere in there that was always just like completely gratuitous. In its case, it has the added disadvantage of being not gratuitous to the story that he's telling mm -hmm. so it just it's there's other things like that in it that are also bad but really just it's like one scene one plot point that obliterates everything good and really makes me mad at stephen king like he he Why'd just to do that yeah he ruined it and you kind of as you're reading the book it comes near the end and you feel it coming and you kind of you're like there's no way he's actually building up to this and then he does and you're just like well i'm 100 pages i might as well find out if they they kill it you know that's my experience but that uh, in some ways it was a good lesson for me i guess that i don't know what the lesson would have been just worldlings gonna be worldly or mm. something well so that's it that's it <laughs> that's it so that that leads us to the dark tower the dark tower is another stephen king novel that's being turned into uh Film franchise? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I think film franchise? The trailer just came out with Idris Elba and Matthew McConaughey. and Like I said, I've not read any Stephen King, so I haven't read The Dark Tower. Um, but I have seen that the reactions to the first trailer are very mixed, either very positive or very negative. Let me ask you this first. As a complete neophyte, what did you think of The Dark Tower trailer and The Dark Tower? What, what is it in your mind? Does it look cool or interesting? Or I've seen some artwork for... Dark Tower stuff in general. And it feels like almost uh, everything that I've seen feels either Tatooine or uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, mm -hmm. right? Very spaghetti westerny. Totally. This feels much more dark and closed. Um, so it feels like an aesthetic departure a little bit, maybe, but I don't know. I mean, it is. And that's what catching bullets in the air with a gun and shooting it, it may make for a nice, cool action adventure movie. So I don't have anything invested. So it's not like, you know, I'm going to be disappointed with it if I see it one way or another, unless it's built up for me to be this awesome thing. Uh, the books were fun. Stephen King actually wrote, it's a seven series book. He wrote the first four, I think, in fairly rapid succession. And then it was like 20 or 30 years before he finished it. And he was just a different man. So I've never actually even finished the last few books because... It's just like what happened to this world and these characters. Like, it's just, it's not, I don't even know that it's his fault. I might do the same thing, but yeah, I don't know. I wish I had a better hot take on the Dark Tower, but uh, it does not look like the Dark Tower that I grew up with. It was very much a lived-in world, a spaghetti western. I think that's probably why most people are a little disappointed because this thing looks very sci-fi. You see Matthew McConaughey as the man in black and... Uh, Idris Elba as Roland the gunslinger having like a matrixy kind of fight and that's the Dark Tower was much more kind of ancient slow you know yeah there were big bursts of violent gun battles but much more like a spaghetti western kind of thing samurai so, instead of lightsabers yeah yeah exactly <laughs> like old Obi-Wan instead of young Obi-Wan in our favorite animated series so that's my hot take on the Dark Tower I don't know got any more questions about that <laughs> well you like the books yeah I mean uh, are you gonna throw them out the way you threw it out uh, i don't really remember them well enough 
I'm going to guess that they probably have some completely objectionable content, so I'd be hesitant to wholeheartedly recommend them. They probably, they do also, I can definitely say, have some of the same virtues. His writing of characters that you just like, not always real three-dimensional characters, but just good, honest American, or in this case, whatever the world that the Dark Tower people live in. You know, you love Roland the Gunslinger. He's a cool, stoical hero, and he kind of attracts a band of misfits that, you know, a a boy and a a woman without her legs. Stephen King just does a good job on the friendships and the camaraderie and all that kind of stuff. So that's what I like about Stephen King. And obviously, you know, if you've been listening to me talk, which presumably you have, I have some nostalgia for it that I can't quite erase despite what's uh, wicked about him. But I probably wouldn't really recommend The Dark Tower. Maybe the movie will be good. It doesn't really look like it has a lot to do with the story from the book or the aesthetic that I remember from the book. So maybe it'll just be its own thing. What do you mean it doesn't have to do with the story? Well, um, here's some... If you want to go super deep nerd, Roland does not have the horn of... I forget. The horn of El Adai or something like that. He does not have the horn at the beginning of the Dark Tower. And all through the series, he doesn't have the horn. And the horn is supposed to completely change the timeline. And the Dark Tower plays with... Basically, the Dark Tower is this tower that holds all the universes, all the different parallel dimensions, and coincidentally, all the different Stephen King stories together. And so if you destroy the Dark Tower, you destroy existence itself, which is what the bad guys are after for some reason. And Roland's trying to find the Dark Tower to protect it. And all through these books, he does not have the horn in this is super nerdy again in the movies he does have the horn which means that we are actually watching a different timeline we're watching a redo we're actually they've actually given themselves license kind of like the star trek movie did to do whatever they want so i think they're playing in the world they're playing with a lot of the stories but they've i think they've specifically established the right to just do whatever do whatever seems seems best on screen or which is honestly probably a pretty good idea because stephen king he didn't know where those books were going they kind of meandered and like i said there was a huge gap between when he wrote them and how he felt about himself and the world and art and writing and everything when he wrote them so he write the screenplay or is he involved in the writing of the screenplay i don't think so stephen king is famously more than happy to sell the movie rights and make some money but he's also more than happy to be very honest about how he he hates Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, for example, which is considered a beloved horror classic by a lot of people, the Jack Nicholson movie. But Stephen King just says, you know, it's garbage. It's not my my book. Uh, one cool thing, another little Stephen King is a humble, cool guy thing, is he will let any amateur f- filmmaker make a movie out of any of his short stories for the price of one dollar. That's um, awesome. Yeah. So that's you kind of have to love Stephen King. And if you see him in interviews, he's a real no BS kind of guy. But on the other hand, he does have this weird, dark need to just put disgusting stuff of all kinds in his books. Mm, I don't know. That's probably all you really need to know about Stephen King. He directed an infamously terrible movie at the end of his coke addiction called Maximum Overdrive, which is about killer trucks. All the machines go crazy. And uh, I believe Charlie Sheen has to, no, Emilio Estevez (laughs) has to stand against the machines. (laughs) And Stephen King, I think, blames that movie. Ducks fly together. (laughs) (laughs) Emilio Estevez and uh, Goldberg. and. Uh, so anyway, I don't know. Uh, anything else you want to say about any of that stuff, Jake, as a guy that doesn't know anything about any of that stuff? No, not really. I don't. It was fascinating listening to you talk about it. Mm, I couldn't agree more. I'm going to hand the reins back over to you, though, I think. Yeah, yeah, uh, yep. Uh, anything you want to ask me about any of those things? Uh, which one of those would you most like to watch? Dark Tower. Dark Tower? Yeah. Handmaid's Tale's crap. Yep. Oh, wait, shoot. I mean, I broke car- it's, it's, it's wonderful. Great, it's, it's, <laughs> it's what Christians want. It's what, yeah. Uh, it's too much like what I already see right. in the Bible and teach. You basically live the Handmaid's yeah, Tale. Yeah, I live the Handmaid's Tale. So why would I ever? Right. It's yeah. like watching paint dry. It's like you can do that. Yeah, totally. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, it, I, I, I am I'm not a fan of horror. I never have been outside of Goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> As a teenager. I, I mean, I tried to get into Fear Street by R.L. Stein, and it was a little much for me on the <laughs> on the blood and gore side of things. So I'm not going to be seeing it. Although I did watch that uh, clip with the kids. Uh, what, what was it? The, the first, the look, first or, look or whatever. The first look with the kids or, or whatever, and felt some nostalgia for my own childhood in a Steven Spielberg-y sort of way right but yeah that's not going to be enough to induce me to watch creepy clowns and whatever but i am a sucker for sort of like epic uh fairy tale-ish alt world sort of thing so of the three dark towers easily the most interesting so i don't know and you know the truth is i didn't know what lord of the rings was until 
I saw the movies in college. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I didn't, wasn't a Christian or homeschooled or whatever. I didn't grow up with Tolkien. Like he wasn't a horrible did. dork. Huh? He I wasn't, wasn't a, a horrible yeah. dork. I had no idea. I made actually made fun of a kid who loved The Hobbit and wrote a book report on it. I remember that specifically. His name is Andrew Smith. Sorry, Andrew, <laughs> if you're listening. Um, so, yeah. So, I, I am totally open to crappy movies getting me into into books. So, little interested in Dark Tower. Yeah. Am I good? I don't know. I watch Star Wars, so... Yeah. Star Wars Clone Wars, the animated <laughs> series, available on Netflix right now. Well, hey, look, it's Brandon. Hey, Brandon, what's <laughs> hey, up? Hey, Brandon. <laughs> hey, I'm here. Let's just calm down, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that Brandon's here, he's joined us just in time to offer absolutely no literary analysis. He is not going to be telling us anything about The Handmaid's Tale, It, or Dark Tower. But he he did pop by just to talk to us about, or help us talk to you, about money. We are desperately in need of money. Give us money. Give us money. We need money. Brandon's heroin habit has... <laughs> can't support itself. Can't support itself. <laughs> yeah. It cannot. <laughs> it cannot. And I uh, enjoy the finer things of life, like Fabergé eggs. <laughs> I just, um, so between Brandon's heroin habit, my Fabergé egg collection, Jake... He burns those barns. <laughs> yeah, he's got a... It, that's lawsuit money right there. Buy that gas. Barn burner? Yeah, he's a barn burner. <laughs> Not a barn burner like, we're going to have a real ourselves a real barn burner. But like, uh, he no, burns, barns. burns barns. People die. I Animals haven't listened die. to those episodes yet. I have to listen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Turns out uh, that's a... Anyway, we are... We, we wanted to give you, the dear listener, the privilege of supporting us by giving us money. Isn't that right, Jake? That's right. So we have established a Patreon account. If you don't know what Patreon is, then it is what, Jake? I'm sorry. I thought that was dot, dot, dot. This is, it's what Jake. Oh, it's what Jake. <laughs> then it is what Jake wants you to use to give us money. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's many of you, uh, if you haven't heard of Patreon, you've probably heard of Kickstarter. Kickstarter is a way to crowd fund a project. You set a, a goal of say $20,000 or $25,000 for, I don't know, an album of Psalms by My Soul Among Lions. Mm-hmm. And then you, you give money and you try to hit that goal so that that one project can be funded. But, Patreon offers another way to crowdfund things that are ongoing and to provide ongoing support for uh, the artists and creators that do things you love, like the booking. The word comes from the word patron. So like you can be our patron. That's right. So so if you go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com com slash the booking. What you'll find is that we have set up a very simple page where it's easy for you to give on the level of $4 a month, $10 a month, $25 a month, even more if you want to be an especially wonderful supporter of us. That allows us to begin covering uh, some of the ongoing costs that we have associated with the booking. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, all of this equipment that you uh, are not seeing right now. Are not seeing. But we are, in fact, speaking into microphones. uh, there There are places there where we need some upgrades. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also just normal costs like each of us buys the book out of pocket each month and all the other research materials that that we use the vast hordes of research materials that we use it comes out of our own pocket um, weekly trips to the library of congress mm-hmm. yeah all of that sort of thing we flew brandon out to uh, the new york public library to That's view right. the uh the original Winnie the Pooh. Yep, my yep. fingerprints are on that glass. Yeah, it, it takes a lot of money to bribe the Smithsonian to get them to bring some of that stuff out. So, uh, anyhow, if you love what you hear and if you appreciate this podcast, we need your help and your support right. to, in order to to keep it going. Yep. Uh, so we've established some reward levels. If you want to be a worthwhile human, that's four dollars a month. Uh, you'll get access to exclusive bonus content, including cut material from each episode. Oh, boy, guys. Oh, no. <laughs> if this is what we keep in, I can't imagine what we cut out. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, if now, you, be the $4 a month, that's less than half of what you pay for Spotify or Netflix. And be honest, you don't really care about Spotify it's or Netflix, one, but you do care about the booking. It's one meal at Burger King, and Burger King's gross. Very gross. Lose weight, feel great, support a great podcast. For $10 a month, you can be an exceptional human person. 
you'll get access to that same feed of cut material and all that junk. Uh, plus, I mean, all that wonderful stuff. Plus a specialized shout out in every episode. Let's say your name was Bob. Brandon would shout you out like so. Bob! <laughs> yep. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> If you want to hear someone <laughs> calling your name <laughs> like they just woke up from a nightmare, <laughs> then for $10 a month, that can be yours. Um, if you want to be a hero, Brandon, have you ever wanted to be a hero in your life? Yes. Well, if you want to be a hero, you can give $25 a month to us. Man. You'll get the same bonus content as the worthwhile human beings and exceptional human beings do. Yeah. But you also get access to our exclusive pre-show live stream. Exclusive pre-show live stream. Jake, tell them about this exclusive pre-show live stream. So before we set up for every episode, maybe even as we set up, we'll uh, pop up in a computer, have a live stream on, and you'll have a chance to interact with us, ask us the kinds of questions that you want us to answer in our episode on the book that we are about to discuss, and we will take you under advice. Yep, which means we'll try and incorporate them if they're not stupid. Right. If you so, want to ask uh, stupid questions, under advisement. Under advisement, yeah. yes. But yeah, you'll get to pop in there and uh, we'll wave hi to you. And you'll get an inside look at the beautiful Warhorn Studios mm-hmm. in our recording setup here. Yes, yep. so beautiful here. The beautiful Warhorn Studios, yes. Um, if you want to be a legendary hero of your... Brandon, have you ever wanted to be a legendary hero of your... I could only dream of the possibility. Well... For $50 or more, you could live that dream, sir. Amazing. Actually, just for $50 per month. Um, You'll get everything that we just mentioned, plus you'll get a copy of each month's book signed by our heroes. That's us. I'm just reading the copy here, and it says our heroes. Uh, I will personally write you a personal message. Poem? I don't know. Maybe some weeks. Poem, thing. And you'll get that copy? In time to read along with us. Hey, maybe maybe we'll even write some write some annot- annotations. Like, don't read this part. This part's dumb. We'll just mark it out with a black right. <laughs> sharpie. Yeah, <laughs> rip out pages. Yep. <laughs> don't read this. <laughs> you don't need this. <laughs> we'll just send them shreddings if we didn't like the book. <laughs> Here's Milne. <laughs> Watch the Disney movie. Um, no, I will write you a personalized note. I'm a good personalized note writer. Um, and and we'll all sign it. Brandon will sign it. He's got a good signature. I don't know. You got a good signature, Brandon? It's, yeah, I'll start practicing. Okay, yeah, you better get practicing. Jake will sign it. Jake has Jake beautiful has handwriting. Beautiful handwriting. Um, one of the things that we're jealous about. So you could be a legendary hero of yore. Or if you want to be... Now, Jake, we know Brandon can't even dream of being a legendary hero of yore. Mm. It would probably blow his mind to even consider consider the idea that there exists such a thing as a galactic hero Alex. out of this guy out of this that's, right. that's, that's the reference Good job. <laughs> that's the reference <laughs> oh, so, so a galactic hero they get everything that everyone else gets that's like a lot of stuff access to the exclusive live stream signed personalized book personalized message from me beautiful handwriting from jake cut bonus content plus you get to add one book of your own choosing to our episode list each year and make an appearance on said episode for a hundred dollars a month, Brandon. That's all. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> um, some limits and exclusives uh, and exclusions do apply. In other words, if you try to make us do something dumb, we probably won't do it. But yeah. within reason, you know, if you want to pop in on the podcast for five minutes and ask us your questions, and uh, you know. Say hi to your mom, whatever, whatever you want to do. I assume you probably live with your mom if you have $100 a month to give us. But um, why? I shouldn't be insulted. I'm asking these people for money and assuming they're dumb. Um, I'm so sorry, listener. We need this money so bad. Um, Spent too much time with Milne. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, You're going to give me money. Let me make fun of you. Right, yeah. But seriously, anybody that would give us $100 a month. But yeah, you know, I mean, you know, if you wanted to make us read Twilight, we might do it. We might do it. Not saying we would, but we take it under advisement. I mean, if you wanted to make us read something by, like fun like that, we're not opposed to it. But especially if you just wanted to make us read something good, we're definitely not opposed to that. If you just want, you know, like, why, when are they going to do, uh, I don't know, what's some book people want us to do? What's an example of a book, Brandon? That people would want us to do? Sure. Oh, what have they asked for? Moby Dick. When are you guys going to do Moby Dick? Oh, please don't make us do. But if you want to make us do Moby Dick for, for 100 bucks, 
baby, we'll do Moby Dick. A month. A month. Yeah, yeah. not for a hundred bucks. <laughs> forever. No, yeah, for a hundred bucks forever. <laughs> you do sign an exclusive lifetime contract to, to Patreon. You can never cancel. That's not true. We could use the support, right, Jake? Say something sincere so they'll like us uh, now that I've insulted them. Uh, we, we love the bookening. We love doing the bookening. It's a lot of fun for us, and we've been encouraged by all of you out there who have uh, supported us with your encouragement. And some of you have been supporting us financially, and we want to give you an opportunity to do that with this and also give back more to you. If you want, if you do love this podcast, if you appreciate it, a lot of time and effort and energy goes into it, so we would appreciate your support. And we also want to make it better for you, and that's part of what this is designed to do. Um, if you look at the Patreon page, you'll see that there are our goals listed, mm-hmm. um, and they're not they're not you know like the first goal is just a hundred dollars a month. If we can hit a goal of, if you guys, all of you listeners out there, can hit the goal of. Accumulatively reaching $100 a month, we're going to upgrade some of our microphones and some of the uh, software that we use to try to give you something better. Um, and then, and then we have other goals that go beyond that. So, just think, a hundred dollars a month. That's each episode gets well over a hundred downloads. You know, (laughs) right? So, if everybody who listens just gave a dollar a month, Mm -hmm. we would hit that. If one person gave a hundred dollars. Or if one person gave $100 a month and decided to be a galactic hero. There's just so much more that we could do. So just think, if, if, if 25 of you gave $4 a month, that's all we need, that's that's all we need. need to hit our first goal. So um, really think about it. And you know, $4, like Nathan said, that's a cheap meal at Burger King. That's uh, some frou-frou drink at Starbucks. That's one frou-frou, not even a frou-frou drink at Starbucks these days. Yeah, so... It's a modern economy. Yeah. Uh, Think about uh, how you can support us and how you can uh, make this podcast better. And the truth is all of our other uh, podcasts that are forthcoming will benefit too. Yes. This is a true labor of love. I really love doing it. It's really fun to do it with these guys. It's really fun to to hear people's responses to it. And uh, we just are hoping to offset the cost, make it a little bit better and and, and make it make it make it so we can all feel good because we all we all got day jobs and we're going to keep doing it because we love it. But uh, you can help us. Love it even more. Not good at sincerity at all. Not like Jake is. If you like Jake's sincerity, if you like my terrible snarkiness, if you like Brandon's... Brilliance. If you like Brandon's brilliant, incisive literary mind, then please consider supporting us. That's patreon.com. Patreon is spelled Jake. Sing it for me. P-A-T-R-E-O-N. That was not much of a melody. Yeah, well, maybe Brandon could do it. Brandon, sing it for me. P A T R E O N. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, Patreon.com forward slash, not backslash moron. Who uses backslashes? Why is there even a backslash key on the keyboard? Forward slash the bookening.